As a Christian this morning, I'm going to take a few moments and I'm going to talk to you. This has everything to do today about me. Okay? You're kind of off the hook. I'll preach on sin and hell next week. Show up, okay? But as a Christian, for all the things that have come to my life, all the things that I've come to my life, remember what we said that things don't happen as believers. Things don't happen to you. They happen for you. That I've learned to be thankful rather than resentful. Some of you haven't learned that yet. And some people never learn it. Some people never learn it. A lot of people in the church never learns this. But as Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content. Remember, look at the language. He said, I've learned. I wasn't born with contentment in me. I was born with resentment in me. You're not born to be content. You're not born when you're not born in your mighty mind, soul, and body to, to be thankful. You are not born that way. You have to learn to be thankful. Someone has to educate you. Somebody has to reprogram you to be thankful instead of resentful. Even though that you, it's warranted. I understand. But once again, I'm not speaking to you. I'm, I have a mirror set up. I'm looking at me. Of all the things that have happened to me and of all the things that happened in this church through the years and, the, and all the unkind words and the nasty gestures and the toilet paper in my tree, I have two choices. Either I could be resentful and take it out on you or I could be thankful and dish it out on you. And so I choose to do the, the second I choose not to let things that's happened to me spill over and allow resentfulness to be in my life, breeding like a, a, a virus or a cancer that, that I just poured out onto you. So is being thankful that big of a deal anyway? And you better know it. So, so before we get into this, I, I want to show you very quickly. I, I didn't do this until about 20 minutes before I showed up this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 17, and there's about seven verses, but it says, And as Jesus entered into a certain village, that he met ten men that were lepers that stood off afar. Now the Talmud tells us that these lepers had to stay at least a hundred paces from the normal people. A hundred paces, three hundred feet. So if you were a leper and you was diagnosed by the priest, it was commanded by the law that you had to stand at least 300 feet. So from this side of the church building to the very front foyer is 111 feet. So for those that graduated from Wilson, it's over about a block long. So if you had leprosy of any kind, and leprosy was a skin-eating disease, Gangrene was the bone disease, but leprosy was a skin-eating virus. You had to stay at least one block away from anyone. So when Jesus goes through Samaria, he goes to the village, and there, that's, there are 10 men that met him that stood afar off at least a block. So if you're a block off, you'll have to do some hollering. Hear me. Some of you are not desperate enough for change. Some of you are not desperate enough. You're content being leprous. You're content. These things that happened to you, you're content to going through life being separated from the closest of the closest of people and the closest of God. But I'll tell you, these guys were serious. They said, even though we're a block away, don't tell me to be quiet. I'm going to ramp the volume up. Jesus, have mercy on me. And so the next verse says, what's this? We got to go. And they lifted up their voices, being a block away, and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he sends him, he said, a block away, just go and show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. He didn't even touch them. Being a block away, he said, just go and show yourself to the priest. So, and so when he saw them, he said, go and show the priest. They were cleansed, keep going. And one of them that he saw there was healed. He turned back with a loud voice and he glorified God. He's still a block away. He glorified God. Say glorify God. This is going to come into in view in a minute. And I will not let you go to sleep this morning. So one of them that was cleansed 
before he saw any change, he glorified God. Now watch this. Let's finish this. And he fell down on his face, being a block away at his feet, giving him thanks because he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 of you that were cleansed, but where are the other nine? And he said, they're not here. They returned to give glory to God, except this stranger. And Jesus said, I understand. He said to him, arise and go that way for that faith has made you whole. There is a difference between being cleansed or healed and made whole. Ten of them had this leprous eating disease. Part of the face was off, fingers was chewed off, their nose was chewed off, their eye socket was chewed out. They had all this infection. Part of their skin was open. And from a block away, they said, Jesus, Master, Kyriakos, have mercy on us. We know you can do it. And he said, just go to the priest and show yourself. Consider it down. And, and consider it down. And on their way, as they went straight to the priest, that, that, that they took at his word because, watch this, nothing physically changed. Being healed, nothing physically changed. Their finger was still eaten off. But he said, according to your word, we'll go. Except one. And one came back and fell at his feet and said, here's the deal. I want to give you thanks. I want to glorify you. I want to honor you. And he said, where's the other nine? And he said, I don't have a clue. All I want to do is glorify you for what you've done in my life. Even though I don't see anything changed, I want to glorify you. And Jesus said, thy faith has made you whole. And that word whole is where sodzo, eoma is the word for cleansing or healing. It means the process of that disease has stopped, but it still has left all the scars and the wounds and the fingers gone. But the word whole is the word for sodzo, and sodzo means it grew back. The flesh grew back. You had nine of them that the, that the disease of the leprosy was cleansed, but the scars of it was still visible except one, he come back. And what, what did he do? He said, I just want to glorify God. I just want to honor God. I just want to be thankful for what you've done, even though that I don't see it physically, but I believe your word above what I see. Hebrews chapter 11 says, and Noah being informed by God that he believed and respected the word of God more than what he saw physically. When will we ever get to that point? I'll see it when I believe it. That is, that is, that is so primary Christianity. What was the thing that caused this man to become whole? And when he glorified God and he was thankful, what did Jesus say? Your faith has made you what? Whole. The skin began to grow back. There's a tons of people that are coming to church that I believe that they're cleansed on the inside but the scars of sin are still evident in your life. Oh, I said this was about me. The scars of sin is evident in my life. Pieces missing. Chunks missing. Fingers missing. Hey, I'm glad you're here this morning. How are you? Well, I'm here. Well, that's pretty heavy. You should have stayed home. You better have something really snazzy, preacher, because I'm really in bad spirits. Well, you should have stayed home because I don't want to receive your bad spirit. Wear a mask. I don't care what you do. But the idea is that once we become thankful for what God has done, being thankful sometimes is being thankful and you haven't even seen it yet. And regardless whether you see it or not, if he doesn't do anything else for me, if he doesn't do any more miracles, if, if I don't ever get anything else, what he's done for me through his son Jesus is more than enough, more than I ever deserved. We live in a very greedy Christian community. We've got to have more and we've got to have more and we've got to have more. And I'll tell you somewhere, this has got to stop. The reason why you're not happy is like Philip said, if you'll just show us the Father, it'll make you happy. No, it won't. If I have more money, it'd make me happy. No, it won't. You'd make more money than you've ever had before, probably. If I have more kids, it'd make me happy. No, it won't. If I have less kids, it'd make me happy. No, it won't. If I had better in-laws, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. If I, had a, if I had a church painted red instead of yellow, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Happiness and content is all based on the inside. So I'm going to be thankful. 
I'm going to celebrate God. I'm not waiting for a new piano player, a new police preacher, and a new drummer, and a new congregation to make me happy. That's why preachers leave churches is because somehow they want to be happy. That doesn't bring happiness. Happiness is in the right relation with God and being thankful instead of resentful. And when I've done that, and when I do that, watch this. Something on my physical man changes. So you've been through a bad divorce. Sorry about that. Sorry. Now, how long are you going to drag that thing around? Thank you. You want to get up here and talk about this? Right, let it go. He said it. I'm going to choose to be thankful. So what somebody didn't speak to me? Okay, I'll guarantee you there's people all the church that'll speak to you. Be thankful. Being thankful will bring healing to your life. Being thankful will bring healing and being resentful will destroy you. A merry heart doeth good like medicine, but a spirit of discontent will, watch this, will rot the bones. So if, if you want to change, if things are not going good at home, if they're not going good at home, then change. Make it good. Continue to be good. Continue to do good. If things are not good at work, then take good to work with you. But this is where you get it, right here. It's not on the evening news. I've never had Channel 12 said, now I just want everybody to lift their hands and honor God and give God the glory right now. It's, it's, it's none of that. If, if, if you want to hear the good news about honoring God, you're going to hear it here. Because I'm in the business of being thankful for what God has done for me in my life. Now then, being thankful versus being resentful. Romans chapter one, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. Two words I want you to look at this morning. This is the church of Rome. Glorified as doxado is a word for honor, respected above everything, distinguished from, and it's the highest level of regard for. Glorified, doxado is a word for it means that to be esteemed above all. Their opinions, their needs, their advice. Doxado is a word that they did not glorify God. Now, doxa is a word, it, by definition, it means to separate or put in another category. Here's the problem with this, and I want to say this to you, and I want you to hear me. This is the danger in Christian churches today, and I want you to hear me. We're rendering God down to just being simple ingredients in this religious stew. God is no big deal anymore. He's just a part of your life. He's no big deal anymore. I'll tell you what's a big deal. Big churches, big parking lot, big choirs, big seating, big voices, bigness, fanciness. That's the big deal. That's what we're striving for. So God glorified him not. It means this. They did not put God in another category by himself. He said, if somebody correct me if I'm wrong. He said, number one, he said, love the Lord God and I'll have none other beside me. Doxado is a word that means this, that we can mention God and we can talk about God, but God is not that big a deal. God is just mixed into whatever we're doing here. And as Leviticus, it's a strange fire. Don Epler has been wanting me just to teach for a while. So Don, I'm going to talk to you this morning. Doxado is a word. Paul said the danger was this. It was this, that God, you didn't glorify him. You didn't separate him. He was just, <laughs> but boy, I can't hardly, we get, we get another evangelist, we get another preacher, we get a better guitar player, we get a better piano player. Woo, I can't hardly wait. And all that, see, is just rendered, but we, God's in this thing, but God is not set alone. Oh, God alone should be worshiped. God alone should be honored. The problem that you're having in your life, the reason why you're not thankful is because you have not maybe separated God in a category by himself. There is none like him. See, that's the problem with me. I got a disease because I'm eat up with a God thing. And Paul said, here's the deal. They were, they were 
They have polytheism. I'll, I'll talk about it. And the word thankful, Eucharist, and the word eucharistos is a word for to express gratitude and be thankful. Remember, grace doesn't make you great. Grace makes you grateful. I wrote here, the dangers here among these men, they did not respect God's word over or above the words of the religious routines and rituals. In Rome's religion, which was polytheism, God had become just another culture or just another God in their culture. Rome was polytheism. Everything was a God. Sun God, moon God, dog God, had many gods, had gods everywhere on the shelves, trinkets and everything. And so then when Paul come in to talk about Rome, in Rome talk about God, there's only one God. They said, oh yeah, we'll, we'll take him too. Send him over by the poinsettias. Now before you tune me out, some of you are not too far from that. I shouldn't say that. Before I tune myself out, for a long time when I got in church, I wasn't too far from that because I wanted God, but I wanted him. I wanted to do God's will. I just wanted to do God's will my way. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. I don't, I don't, I tore that page out of my Bible. I, you see, when they knew God, they glorified him not and neither were they thankful. That's where the prefaces of this, these scriptures are going to go today. The key of being thankful is, is when you learn to glorify God. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm glad to make you mad. It makes me happy when I make you mad. It makes me happy when you stomp out of here. Because the Bible in itself is offensive. And all I have to do is just read the verses and it'll offend people that are in opposition against God. Hey, come back next week. We're going to talk about the election of God, the divine elect of God. That'll really get you going. Do I believe there's an elect of God? Absolutely. Do I believe in free wheelers? You're free to sin. So show up for that one. Oh, you, you'll get mad, but it's okay. I can prove it. If I can prove it, don't get mad about it. So what happens is, is that Rome says, sure, we'll take your God, set him on the shelf with everything else. Put him over by the, the moon God and the sun God. Put him over there. Put him over there. We'll accept him like we accepted all these other trinkets. Have we not done that in Christian circles today? And that's why, watch this. He said, you're the salt of the earth. Watch it. Remember, he said, and if any man loses salt of the earth, his insipidness, all he's good for is for men to trod on them. We have lost our insipidness in the Christian community. Why? It's because we have rendered down and we have weakened the word of God. Charles Spurgeon said like this. Somebody else said for him, but he said this. He said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. Just let the lion loose. He'll defend himself. Have we become so insipid in the church? Have I become so insipid that I get up and, and read a couple of verses and a couple of poems? Now, now here, I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to go ahead and make you mad. No, I'm going to do that in a little bit. I, I, you're still smiling at me, so I'll get to making you mad here in a minute. So I wrote three things what I'm thankful for. You're going to be here for a little bit, so you might as well take off your shoes. And What I'm thankful for, number one, in, in reverse order, I'm thankful for my friends. I'm glad you're here. I'm thankful for you. I have many scriptures dealing with this about friendship, godly friendship, Ahab and Arias. I'm thankful for you, every one of you. Thank you. If you're my friend, thank you. I appreciate it. Number two, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my family. We've been married how many years, Gala? Almost 33? 30, 43. You're right. I was going to make sure you knew. She's right. I'm very thankful for my family. Got two wonderful boys. They got a slew of grandkids and a great grandbaby and very thankful, very thankful. But the thing I'm most thankful for is my faith. I'm not like you. I'm different. I'm kind of like you, but make no mistake about it. When you bury me, you will say he was different. He just didn't blend in. He didn't lose his insipidness. You knew exactly where you stood with him. 
He may be so mad, and then the next Sunday I got glad. But I'm thankful for my faith. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul and James used it where there's a difference between the faith and your faith, but this is what happens. When you come in line with God, your faith becomes the faith. That kind of went over your head. I understand. Your faith, your belief system is more than your belief system. Your belief system now integrates to, to the Word of God system. And it's not what I'm, I believe. It's not my opinions anymore. I'm telling you, if I cannot back it up with sound scripture in content and in context, then it's no longer my opinion. So I have to surrender my opinions and my views to exactly what the word says. And if it's exactly what the word says, then that becomes my faith. And that's where I'm at with you after over 40 years of serving God with passion. And I'll tell you, in the last 30-something years, there's been a lot of people in this church house, not you, of course, turn to somebody and say, not you, of course, but done their very best to put my fire out. But the Bible says that darkness cannot put out light. They comprehend, in the beginning was the light of God, and they comprehended it not. Kalalambo, it means they, they could not seize it or snuff it out. So when I talk about my faith, so here, just get comfortable for a moment. Just allow me to breathe. My faith, talk about me. I'm thankful for my faith. I'm thankful that I'm, uh, I don't fold like a bad lawn chair. And there's reasons for that. I'm not special. I just, I just shoved it all into God and said, here it is. Here it is. I'm tired of being normal. I don't want to be an average Joe. I don't want to be weak and pathetic and insipid. I really want to make a difference. I want to be like Elijah and David. I, I want to be like a Daniel that's not allergic to cats. I want to be these men. John 15, verse 15 and 16. So this is where my venture begins. It's going to upset some of you. So from now on that I will no longer call you servants because the servant does not know what his Lord doing. But now I'll call you friends for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known to you. Watch this. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. The Message Bible says that you'll bring forth fruit and that fruit will never spoil. This verse is not hard to understand in Christian circles, but it's definitely hard to swallow. But it's not hard to understand that he chose me from the foundations of the earth he predestinated me before the world began, and I can prove it. I don't because it makes a lot of you mad. But he chose me from the foundation of the earth. He set it in motion. Romans chapter 8. But he chose me. Jesus said, I chose you. You did not choose me. You didn't decide to follow me. I chose you. So I can say that, that he chose you, but I can't do that because I don't really know what's in your heart. But, but when I understood many, many, many years ago that he chose me, then true faith is this. Having faith in God means that I have, have to have faith in God who has faith in me. Well, Louise said it last week, talking about righteous. She said years ago, she told God, she said, I'm so sorry I disappointed you. And the Holy Spirit told her, she said, disappointed, you'd never disappoint me. I knew what you would be before you even began. Disappointment is false expectations. If God already knows, how can he be disappointed? And remind me next week to talk to you about adoption, ex algorizo. When you adopt a baby, talk about adoption. It's not adopting babies. It's adopting full-grown men. Agarizzo is, is the slave market, and he used the word for adoption. Adoption back then is not adopting a baby and saying, I wonder what he's going to look like. I wonder if he'll be tall. I wonder if he'll be handsome. I, I wonder if he'll be intelligent. And, and you're just holding this thing. That's what we do with adoption. But that's not the adoption in the New Testament. The adoption is a full-grown man. Paul said, 
I see what I'm getting here. And by him choosing you from the foundation of the earth and adopting you, that here's a mind blower. God knew what he was going to get from you before you even began. <laughs> and here's the, the other brain cell that'll blow up. That God knew what you would become and he still wanted you. So you free willers, show up next week. Bring you a couple aspirins because I'm going to give you a holy headache. Oh, it's me, really. I, I, think, I think Isaiah talks about this about Satan. I, me, I'll do this and I'll do that. And I decided, yeah, you're, you're in the same category as Lucifer. When the big eye shows up, you're in trouble. So what I need you to understand this morning, very simply, is that is this adoption has everything to do that God knew exactly what he was getting Chuck out of you. And even, even when you might have made a few F's on your report card and hit a couple dumpsters, God said, I already knew about it. I've already made provision. I got insurance on you. I've got Bondo and Putty. I'm prepared to fix you up. We have a daycare here, and I'll tell you, we got nurseries and wipes in this daycare before the parents come. We've never had a teacher in the nursery go, you'll never believe what Junior just did here. He pooped. Well, I know that's what kids do. That's why we have diapers here. He chose you. He hand-selected you. He picked you out. And when you understand that principle, it, it doesn't make you prideful or arrogant. It humbles you. Who am I that the king would want me? That's what it's done to my life. The opposite will happen when you feel like that you're the one that signed up and you was the huge blessing of God. That's not the way it is. And so to be thankful or to, to have faith in God is to have faith in God that has complete faith in you. So from the bottom of my heart, I'm so thankful that God has chosen me to be a part of his divine plans and purposes. The word chose is... Eklahomahi is a word for favorite or to select out from. So when he says the word, I've chosen you, the Greek word means eklomahi. It's a verb that means that a favorite, a favorite. And, and I really wish this was next Sunday because I could talk about the elect. I'll even deal with the, that God's not willing that any should perish. I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about that one. I can't hardly wait till next Sunday. Really? Because I never want to treat you as mental midgets in the things of God. I want to treat you as responsible adults that hopefully are following God and, and are committed to the things of God. I'm hopefully dealing with people that are not just throwing God into a religious insipid bowl of nothing. You, you don't understand. And I, I understand. You, you, you want God part of your life, but you don't want God to be separated and above all. Remember, he said that, that there's a name above all names, but the name of Jesus is above all things. It's a word called capital, where we get the word capta. It means above everything. So to select, he said, I've chosen you as a favorite or to, to select out from. It's only used one other time. In the Septuagint, in the Bible, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 is when David, as a boy, goes to face Goliath. And he goes to face Goliath as a young boy, and he goes to the, I have a lot of ridiculement, and what does he do? He goes to a little creek bed, a river bed. And what does he do? He chooses five Smooth stones. He does not say, somebody bring me a wheelbarrow full of rocks. 
When you understand about God choosing, selecting, understand that the whole riverbed was full of rocks. It wasn't the fact that there was a all sand and, and, and there was five rocks laying around. The whole riverbed was full of rocks and shale rocks. And, and he studied the thing. And through that, he selected five rocks. So somebody would say, why did he choose five rocks? Was he a bad shot? No, Goliath had four brothers. That's not a cute answer. He had four brothers. And you're going to find that out a little bit later in David's life, that his brothers come back to haunt him and they almost killed him if it wasn't for his friends. He had four brothers. And he said, I'm, I'm not a bad shot, but I'm going to tell you right now, I believe God that, that one stone will kill him and all I need is one rock per giant. But he said he chose five little stones. He selected five stones out of a quarry full of rocks. Hmm. So when I understand John 15 and verse 15 and 16, I understand that of all the world that God chose me, that God hand-selected me. And if you're born again of God by the blood of Jesus, he did the very same to you. He chose you, selected you. You're his favorite. Turn to somebody and say, I'm God's favorite. Tell them that. Somebody said, well, it'll offend somebody. Here's a Greek word for that. Who cares? That's two words. Here's three words. I don't care. Let every man be a liar. Let God's word be truth. I think it's about time we stand up and make some people offended. They're offended anyway. If you're not offended, you will be in the next 20 minutes if you're not careful. So warning, when we speak about the words of God clearly and correctly, being chosen by God, then the world and the religious world will hate us just as they hated Christ. So you better buckle up, buttercup. So here's the, here's the answer to that. John 15, verse 19. He tells them, I've chosen you. Ooh, hallelujah. I'm chosen. Woo. That's the good news. Now here's the bad news. The world is going to hate you. Now, don't answer this, please. But in the last 30-something years, have, you, have I ever said things, something to make you really hate me? Because I talked about certain subjects and certain sins, and, and you go of all the nerve and you, start, and you stomp out here. You need to be very careful as you begin to examine your thought process when the Word of God is being spoken. Because you may, your father may be of the other genetics. John 7 says, your father is the father of lies. I'm putting God in another category. There's none like him. He's not just some weak, insipid thing that lives in my heart. He is king of my life. He has authority in my body. He has preeminence in my mind and my life. And if it makes you mad, then so be it. I was happy for you come along. I told somebody here one time, I said, listen, I was, I was happy for you come and I'll be happy when you leave because God is my joy. Now, I'm glad you're here. I really am. But So John 15, 19 says this. So if you were of this world, the world would love his own. He said, if you were of this world, the world would love you. But because you're not of this world now, because I have chosen you, I've selected you, you're my favorite out of the word. Therefore, the world will hate you. And so what you're going to say, oh, he doesn't do that nowadays. Really? Where do you get that at, Einstein? What's this? Remember Luke 4? Were they, first time they wanted to kill him? Well, outside being the manger. What did he say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And God has what? Appointed me. First thing that comes out of his mouth, Luke 4, he picks up a Bible and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for God has appointed me to preach the gospel, bring deliverance, and the word appointed means that God has hand-selected me. And they go, of all the nerve. Ooh, what do you mean God pulled you out? What do you mean you're God's favorite? Let's kill him. 
and nothing will separate you and nothing will bring anger to a religious ritual than the proof of the fact that God has the divine election and selection and favorites that he's called from a whole quarry of the sea of humanity. And he called them redeemed and righteous. Now, do I know who they are? No. So that's why I preach the gospel. That's why I witness. That's why I do what I do. And you may say, well, if God already knows, then why do you do that? Because then I become disobedient. So Jesus said he has appointed me to preach the gospel. He has appointed me to heal those that are bruised. He has appointed me to set the captive free. And they said, oh, no, we're not having that thing here. We're all equal. We all wear the same uniforms. We have the same haircut and we have the same outfit. There's nobody separate. And that's why they wanted to kill him. If you are still of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, Because the Bible is offensive to those people who do not honor God. And why would religious people hate us if God is so much love? Because like I told you, the Bible is offensive. Now, here, I'm going to offend some of you this morning. But uh, we're going to go. But because some of you don't read your Bible, we're going to read a few passages. In Romans 1. This is what Paul is dealing with. We're not taking anything. This is not my opinion. The Apostle Paul, when the reason why I'm taking my time with you this morning, polytheism. Monotheism means there's only one God. That's what we, there's only one God. It's only him. Polytheism means many gods. Pantheism means everything is a God. Quantipatheism is, is something that absolutely something that that what we refer to as something that we can imagine or whatever that we call or confess becomes a God. And if we're not careful, naming, claiming, and blabbing and grabbing people are there and on their way to destruction. So in this, in this realm of, of polytheism of Rome, everything was a God. So the, if, if we want to have wonderful red pansies, then we take this one pansy and we nurture it. And by nurturing that, that, that it'll cause other pansies to grow. And that's what they did back then. They had all these trinkets, frogs, and everything. And, and the Egyptians had them too. So this is what Paul is dealing with. And this is, this is why they want to kill him. And this is why church people want to kill me. I'm not saying you do, but give me time. You might. Because I don't care if you're Baptist, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, Presbyterian, Vegetarian. I don't care. It's all a name. There's only one that we submit our life to, and that's Jehovah God and Christ who didn't crucify for our lives. And the rest of it, you can have it. Romans chapter one, verse six verses to begin with. But God's angry displeasure erupted as acts of human mistrust. He's speaking to a church. He's talking to a church. And wrongdoing and lying accumulated as people try to put a shroud over the truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and a thoughtful look of what God has created. People that have always been able to see what their eyes and such can't see. External power, for instance as the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. And what has happened with this, the people that knew God perfectly well, but when they did not treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense or direction left in their lives. Stop right here. They never glorified God and neither were they thankful. So God said, all right. He turned them over into a confusing and a chaotic state of mind. He didn't eradicate them like he did with the flood of Noah. He just turned them over. Why? Because they did not glorify him, set God aside, and they did not be, were not thankful. 
Mm. So if you don't know this, I'll tell you, because I've got you here. The King James says they, he darkened their heart. It's a New Testament word for an Old Testament word. Her name was Eve in the garden. The word darkened means evening shadows. Adam and Eve walked in the perfect light of God until sin came. And when Eve partook of the fruit and handed him the fruit, he looked at her and he said, I'm going to call you Eve. That's not the mother of all living. The word Eve means what you just did has now brought evening shadows to the light. It's no longer broad daylight, ladies and gentlemen. Now that we have evening shadows in the church, we can't tell what's going on in the church. I know none of you ever been to a bar room, but I'll tell you, the darker it is, the better they like it. That's where I met Gayla. She was dancing on, well, never mind. I'll tell you about that later at a men's conference. But boy, when God walks in and he's glorified, I'll tell you, every roach in the room will run. Woo! I've had them in here. And as long as you don't glorify God, they'll just continue to breed all this stuff. But boy, once you start turning on the light, I'll tell you, people will scream and holler and off they'll run. Let's turn the light on. Let's turn it on. Let's let God be glorified. And so they pretended, watch this, the church pretended to know it all. <laughs> oh, but they were illiterate regarding the life of God. And they traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for a cheap figurines that you can buy at a roadside stand. Oh yeah, I got a cross around my neck, but I can live like hell Monday through Saturday. Somebody said, why don't you get bumper stickers that you can hand down to the church? So I go to church here because I know the way you live. I don't want anybody to know you live, you go to church with me. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, then that's what you get. They no longer wanted God. They wanted to reduce God to a cheap figurine and trinket that sits on the dashboard of their car or sits on a coffee stand that's never been opened. We've rendered that to knowing God. And it wasn't long before that they were living in a pig pen smeared with filth. Filth inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God. And they worshiped the God that made instead of the God who made them. The God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh yes, or amen. He said, if this is what you want, I'm going to give it to you. And he turned them over. Now, verse 26 in this Bible passage, I want to read verse 26 and 27, please. Worse followed. It gets worse. Once you start denying the true existence of the glory of God in your life, then, then things will begin to happen. Then, 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 then you no longer have to live a life. All you got to say is I go to church. <laughs> I know you're getting bored, but it's okay. It's all right. So what happens is instead of God being glorified and alive, now we trade him into, well, I go to church. We don't live a lot, but I go to church. But it even gets worse than that. Worse followed. Refusing to know God or have an intimate relationship with God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Now I'm going to make you mad. Women didn't know how to be women. And men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women and men with men. All lust, no love. And then they paid it for it. Oh, how they paid for it. They emptied of God and love, godless and loveless and wretched. Now, pay attention. If somebody is napping, punch them and say, wake up. This is going to shock you. 
I have family members on my brother's side that are gay and homosexuals. I neither hate them and I neither affirm them. Muslims kill them. I'm not here to kill them, but I'm not gonna affirm it. This is what happens. Watch this. This is gonna shock you. You, you paying attention? Once God is not God in my life, once I, I, I remove God of being complete authority in my life, then now then I fall into the church denomination. Well, that goes against my Baptist teaching. Wonderful. That's not what the assemblies of God taught me, thank God. And once I get under that denomination and, and I just let some guy from the front tell me what I need to know, then it gets worse. Now this is gonna shock you and I've got a grandson here, but I want you to know this is the way it is. Once you begin to slide downhill, it doesn't stop by just blending in into a denomination. It gets worse. If God would move the degree of his anointing in your life, you would be the biggest queer in Ardmore. If God would move the, uh, just a few degrees of Hezekiah, if he would move a few degrees, you would be the biggest lesbian in Oklahoma. Do I hate lesbians? No, but God does. You, you may say, well, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. I will correct you next week if you'll show up on that statement. I'll give you word for word that he hates the sinner in the book of Psalms. He said, I hate him. This is not what I want. And once you begin to remove God from your life, being complete authority and, and has complete preeminence in your life, then you render down to the denomination in the church. And then what before long, you become to just to blend into whatever. And before long, men with men, women with women. And you may say, well, I would never do that. Don't ever say anything about I would never do that because outside of God, you're capable of doing anything. Now, I'm gonna make you mad here, but it's okay. I'm, we're, we're closing this here pretty quick. In October, in July, and it came out in October, look on ABC News, the Pope Francis has now in the, in, in the process of blessing through his cardinals, same-sex unions. Anybody here raised Catholic? Don't be ashamed. Mary, was you raised Catholic? Okay. Papa, you're Catholic. Catholics for 2,000 years have always, whether, whether we don't agree on certain things, but they've always taken a stance on the unity and the sanction of marriage to a man, one man and one woman, period. And that union that should never be dissolved through divorce. Catholics preach that, believe that, and teach that, and drive that into you. That's one thing that, they, they, that has been their platform. So when you go home, not right now, because if you do, I ask God to blow up your phone on you. Google it when you go home. Go, go to any Google and, and type in this, the Pope on blessing gay unions. And you're going to be shocked. The LGBT community has now, they're applauding this. And what he's saying is for the moment that, that we're not going to bless them as marriage, but we will have the cardinals to bless them because who are we to judge them of their sexual preferences? So, as you well know, that a cardinal, these priests cannot be married. So I stood before the assemblies of God one time. I told you this, but I went before their meeting, wanted to get a small license to perform a marriage, was raised in Assembly of God Church. So they sent me to Oklahoma City, and this is what they said. We're, we're glad you applied. I, I'm leaving, just, I'm leaving. But I want you to hear me, the religious demons that, that are, are inside the, the, the denominations that you grew up in. And here I was about 20 years old, something, 21, 22. And they said that we're, we're glad you applied for a license and blah, blah, blah. And they said, but here's the deal. Your wife has been married before. I said, yep. She got married for about nine months when she was 16, 17. And now that we remarried when she's 24. And this is what the man told me. 
He was a superintendent. There was about 60 something men in this, in this group sitting in front of you. And here I was on a witness stand. They said, I need your wife to sign a piece of paper that she was, fraud, was frauded in that marriage. And here, I don't even know what's going on. And I said, do what? And they said, yeah, we, we need you to sign a piece of paper that your wife deceived. And I said, well, she wasn't deceived. That would be lies. I said, well, then that's just the way we have to have it. And I said, because he said, the Bible says that the, the man should be husband of one wife. And when you under that scripture, that the qualifications of, of a bishop, the husband must be the, the, he must be the husband of one wife. Is, is that one at a time or that just one in general? Because, because polygamy was going on back then. So does that mean, Paul said, does that mean that, that you can only be married once or they took it as married and divorced. So if you're married and divorced, either way, you can't have a license in the gun. And I thought, that's nuts. Here I am, I'm on fire with God. I got so much God in me, I, I can't even see straight. Then the question was asked by me, so how many of you guys here have never been married? Oh, they've never been married. And I said, then you're disqualified because it says you must be the husband of one wife and they wanted to kill me. Wow. So the Pope says, we're gonna start sanctioning and blessing gay unions. What I wanna to say to you about this, and I want you to hear me loud and clear. I'm, I'm not harping on this. I'm just talking to you. We're living in a culture right now that is trying to render down God to say, it's all okay because society's doing. It's not okay. Whether you're wife swapping, husband swapping, whether you're an alcoholic, a drug dealer, it doesn't matter. God said, I'm not for this. This will destroy you. But watch this. This verse is not saying, we gotta go. These verses are not saying we know Leviticus chapter number 18, verse 21, 22 says that, that men with men and women and women, homosexuality is a sin and, and it will be punished. That's what it says. And somebody said, well, that's Old Testament. There's only one book. God said it. But this is what I need you to hear me before we go. This verse is not saying that homosexuality is a sin that needs to be punished. It's saying that homosexuality is the punishment itself. Let, let, let that kind of just sink in. I'm not up here screaming to you that homosexuality is a sin that needs to be punished. I'm telling you, because of they left God, they never honored God. They did not glorify God. Then they got under an umbrella of a religion and the domination, and that all kind of rendered into a mush. And before long, sexual perversion set in. Adultery, fornication, all these things begin to set in because, I'll tell you right now, because they chose the Creator the creation more than the creator. And before long, verse 26 and 27 is this. Paul is saying, homosexuality is not a sin that needs to be punished. Homosexuality is the punishment within itself, the darkest and the deepest of all holes that the mind could ever go through is when another man sleeps with another man and a woman lives with another woman. It's the most darkest and the most emptiest hole imagined. God said it. God said it. So now this is why I'm screaming. This is why I'm screaming. Because no man or woman should have to go through life this way. There is a better life. His name is Christ Jesus. Verse 28 through 32, just four more. And so since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, that God quit bothering them and he, 
he let him run loose. And then all hell broke loose, rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious, backstabbing. They, they made life hell on earth with their envy, wanting and killing and bickering and cheating. And, and he said, just look at them, mean-spirited, <laughs> venomous, forked tongue, God bashers, bullies, swaggers, insufferable <laughs> windbags. They just keep inventing new ways of wrecking Christians' lives. They, they diss their parents when they, they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And if that's not as if they don't know better, they know perfectly well that they're spitting in God's face. And they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. It's been a long time since I spoke an hour, but thank you. So why am I thankful that God chose me? It's because he keeps me from becoming that. He keeps me from this process of degrading my life, from leaving God to going to religion, to going to rituals, to going to that and going to that. And then I get mean spirited and then I get hateful. And then you just know what he just said. And not only that, that we got a contest of handing out prizes to the people who could be most sinners in the church. I wish I could tell you that he's speaking about the world, but he's speaking to the people in the congregation. And I'm so thankful this morning that being chosen by God, that his hand is upon us. And I'm confident of this one thing, Brother Don, that he that began a good work in me will continue to perform that work. And I'm persuaded that he will keep that which I committed unto him against that day. I'm so thankful that even though that I'm tempted to run off the road and I'm tempted to throw up my hands and I'm tempted to say it's not worth it, Get out, I had a conversation today. I said, you know what? She'll tell you. You know what? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know anymore. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if I should go, if I should stay. I don't know if I should, should get quieter or get louder. I don't know. This was two Sundays ago. So we go eat Chinese food up there and she has me a fortune cookie. I can't read it because I don't have glasses. You know what it says? Never give up. Now, I know that don't mean anything because I don't believe a fortune cookie over the things of God. But I'll tell you, God has a way of just speaking plain Chinese to you sometimes. Confucius, I never give up. But why am I thankful? What's this? Because the God that lives with me will never allow these things to contaminate my mind that contaminates the things of God. And even though the government approves it and society okays it, and even the church says that we'll, we'll ordain it, God said, I'm not in that. And you stand for me. You just stand for me. You just stand with me. And I'll protect you and I'll provide for you and I'll take care of you. You understand in Revelations, Pergamos means Perga and Tyre. Perga is Tyre, the government, and Gamas is marriage. The church is married to the government. And whatever the government says, the church adapts. Sleeping with your sheep, if the government says it's okay, it's okay. In Canada, they're passing laws of beastality in some places, that's fine. Look it up. Oh, absolutely. You people live in a shell. I'm just so thankful that when we're chosen by him, Brother Tom, that even though these things are going on, that he said a thousand can fall at your right side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come unto you because you live under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm thankful this morning. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad for my wife and family, but I'm just so thankful for my faith that God has placed in my life that I will never be comfortable not glorifying God. We're done. Woo, thank goodness that's over. Show up next week. It won't be so long, maybe. It, yeah, it will too. Stand with me if you would, please.
With every head bowed and every eye closed, now we're getting serious. From the foundation of the earth that he chose you. As David knelt down with the greatest opposition he's ever faced, but he hand-selected five smooth stones. He picked five smooth stones out of a quarry of rocks. Hand-selected to accomplish his purpose. Some of you need to be reminded this morning that you were hand-selected by God. You forgot. You forgot that God in all his infinite wisdom that he sent his son by the Holy Spirit to hand select your life to accomplish his divine purposes here on earth. You're just not some type of a rock in the sea of, of humanity, in the sea of a quarry. God hand selected you this morning and he calls you righteous and you will be effective for his kingdom. Not because there's any talent or gifting in you, it's because that it's his glory that is in your life. This morning, I wanna challenge you today. Don't ever, ever remove God from his glory and being separated and render him down to your religious insipidness because it'll only get worse in your life. Then you'll start affirming and ordaining sinful acts, sinful things, the things that you know that God is displeased with, you label as okay. And it only gets worse. And then you find yourself in a place, it may not be sexual sins, but you'll find your place in a hole. And it's not the fact that that thing deserves punishment, it's the fact that that lifestyle is the punishment itself empty and hollow and dark and lonely. Instead of having a life of being thankful, it's, it's a life now of being resentful. That's your punishment. Wake up this morning. Just wake up. Father, only you can call us. And out of a dark world, only you have the ability to bring light. If there's anybody in this place that's never ever made a commitment to you, then I pray that they'll wake up out of their sleep this morning and they'll be summoned by the Holy Spirit to follow you all the days of their life. But for the remainder of us that never let us make the mistake of removing you from the glory that you are, and we refuse to be thankful for what you're doing in our lives and we allow ourselves to be rendered down to religious rituals and routines. We've lost our insipidness because we've lost the insipidness of you and your words. May God be glorified in our life. Let the heavens declare God's glory in our life. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Communion servers, please come. Turn about three people and give them a hug and say, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for what God is doing in your life. Thank you for glorifying God in your life. We're just not some insipid people that are they're in a they're in a in, in a crowd or a cattle shoot. We are we are living creatures that are glorifying God. Thank you. I'm going to say this to my little wife. Thank you for always allowing God to be glorified in your life. Thank you when I come home and have a couple complaints, you say, oh, God is listening. Thank you for that. That night, Jesus said with his disciples, he took the bread and the cup. And he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the Passover unleavened bread, but Jesus said, I am the bread of life that came from heaven. And if any man's eaten of me, he'll never hunger again, John 6. 
Then he took the cup, that third cup, which was the cup of redemption. He lifted up and he said, your fathers in the first Passover took the lamb's blood placed in the shape of the cross or the doorpost that the death angel would pass over. But Jesus said, I am the lamb of God, which now takes away the sins of the world. And my father will soon take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross. That if any man believes in me, that the death angel once again shall pass over him and whosoever eateth this bread and partakes of this drink will have everlasting life. Do this and remember me. That's exactly what we're doing this morning. We're just remembering what Christ has did for us. Father, bless this cup, bless this bread. And please teach us to always glorify you and be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.